the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, Susan Packard, believes that emotions can sink us or they can power us like fuel to succeed. Susan has developed a program that can help us grow emotional fitness so that we can thrive in all areas of life. According to Susan, success is an inside job. Susan is the co-founder of HGTV and its former chief operating officer. She worked on the startup teams for HBO and CNBC. She's a speaker, a guest expert on television and radio, and an op-ed contributor. Susan is the author of the new book, Fully Human, Three Steps to Grow Your Emotional Fitness in Work, Leadership, and Life. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. So, Susan, you teach us that we should grow our emotional fitness in order to thrive in all areas of life. When did you learn that emotions play a vital role in the workplace? Well, it all came together for me when um, I was asked to join HGTV. I was its second employee and um, its chief operating officer. I was 39. And, you know, uh, it was one of those situations where I had sort of powered through roadblocks all my life mm-hmm. and had gotten to a place um, of leadership. But it was all external and all surface, and it was time for me to kind of press the pause button and to say, okay, if I am really going to, this, this idea has so much promise, and if I'm going to be an effective leader in this company, I need to know what I stand for and, you know, what core principles drive me. And so it was about that time at 39 that I really started asking the harder questions that um, effective leaders need to ask of themselves so that they can connect with their, you know, their organization. Was that experience, was that time in your life the inspiration for the book Fully Human? I would say that that experience, I mean, I, I didn't have any idea I'd ever be writing books, but, right. um, but yeah, because the first book I wrote, New Rules of the <clears throat> excuse me, New Rules of the Game, is really more about the actions and strategies and behaviors to navigate a workplace successfully. But at 39, I you know I, I realized I had those things and they'd helped me, but I needed to go a little deeper, and that's what fully. And so yeah, absolutely, that's what the inspiration for the book is all about. So, Susan, you were one of the leaders of the newly created cable industry. And as a woman who was in a male-dominated industry, what did you learn from those early days of your career? Well, for me, it was always about the learning. And, um, you know, you can have a good college degree and, you know, and all of that. But then you go into the workplace and can you learn the job and I wanted to learn this job, this, this tech, it, it, it was cable back then, cable TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to understand it and learn it. So the only people around to teach me were men. And I didn't really see 
it is a gender issue. Um, in my first book, I talk about climbing poles, you know, with some of my clients and just trying to see the business through their eyes, which is an EQ um, practice, you know, is be understanding what's important to your client is, I think, foundational to being effective as a, whether you're a marketer or a salesperson or a manager. Um, and so that was what that was about. And it, it just so happened, and it was unfortunate because I would have loved to have had female role models, but they weren't around at the time. And so, you know, you do what you can and you learn what you need to learn regardless. So you just mentioned that it was an EQ practice. Let's talk about that for a moment. What is emotional fitness? Emotional fitness is the modernized version, the fortified version of the idea called emotional intelligence or EQ for short that was brought to workplaces in the 90s. It's a skill set and it's basically self-awareness um, and it's also reading others and responding effectively to, their, to them and their emotions. So it's two things and you know, it was um, technology was just starting to take off in the 90s when this idea came into being. So here we are in the work world of 2019, and technology dominates it. So you know that I felt it was critical that that got that got um, addressed in this book, as well as outside the workplace. There's so much emotional chaos and anxiety that we're feeling. You know, there was a lot I, in my book. I have a lot of research on 40 million people are feel, experience some sort of social anxiety, and 21 million people in substance abuse and more suicides than homicides. All of this going on today, and the numbers have never been more dire, truthfully. So it's really hard to practice good EQ. Um, it's a harder time today, and we bring a lot of this unsettled, these unsettled feelings into the workplace with us. So this idea that the book is about the three steps is what do you do about that, and how can you um, live your, your best and most productive emotional life, whether it's work or outside of the workplace. And that's what these, th these three steps help with. So the, the three components that you write about, willingness, trust, and we principles. Looking at the first, willingness, taking action, be willing to try, what do you believe holds so many of us back from taking action? Well, if, if I had to say just one thing, I would say we're unsettled because of some experiences we've had in the past. In the past could be 24 hours, it could be th this morning. Um, that we don't really want to have to address. Mm -hmm. So as a result, we just keep pushing forward and we shut it out and we stuff it down and then we eventually run out of room. What happens after that is a lot of different things, none of which are good. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I would say that's the main reason we don't want to do it because I mean, it's kind of scary to look under the hood and, and to really get a sense of what your deep inner principles are about, you know, who you are, you know, settle into yourself to know what's important to me and, you know, get to this place where our noble emotions lie is a process. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, but I think people, I know that was true for me until I turned 39. You know, I just kept, I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And from a work performance standpoint, no one knew that, you know, I needed other parts to complete me except me. And right. it finally got to that place at, you know, 39 where I said, okay, Susan, it's time to start taking some inventory here. And for you, it was age 39. For me, it was age 43. I had a complete upheaval in my life at that age, at 43 years old. And the result of that is doing the work that I'm doing now. I hmm. had been raising my children and being the perfect wife and lost sense hmm. of who I was. And so I reevaluated hmm. at age 43. I asked the difficult questions, went through a lot of change, a lot of transformation, but this is all the result of that self-examination. 
Hmm, isn't that wonderful? I mean, I know it sounds like it was really painful, and it is, and this is why people don't want to do it. But when you get to the other side, it's so wonderful. It is. It is. And it, it's a lot of what I've learned, uh, what I believe is it's a lot of fear that holds us back, that keeps us yes. from taking a chance because we'd rather just stay safe and comfortable and doing what you said, putting one foot in front of the other instead of going into the unknown. But the unknown is beautiful. It could be. Yeah. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Of all the emotions in the workplace and whether I was inside a work, you know, a company and, and working with people or now as I, you know, mentor others, um, it's fear. That is the most f- fundamental, unproductive, self-limiting emotion that we have. And, you know, we have to, it's, if we want to have peace of mind, we have to deal with it. Well, Susan, you've taken on so many challenging projects. And, and by anyone's standards, you're, you're an accomplished woman. How did you move through your fears? How were you able to push those aside and take on all of these challenges? Well, um, I, have, I've, I have two practices um, that I've taken on. Um, one is a meditative, um, contemplative practice, mm-hmm. and so I've learned a certain form of meditation, which is is more than just you know sitting in quiet. I mean, it's sort of a way of how you see the world and how you relate to one another and um, how you cherish people, and hopefully they cherish you. I mean, it all comes out of this practice. And um, in the book, at the very end of the book, last chapter, I I really struggled with this, but I ultimately wrote it, and it was about my, I'm in recovery. And so that's a whole nother practice of um, a way to live. I mean, I feel so fortunate because I have both of these that I can rely on that sort of are all summed up in these three steps. And, um, you know, no one has to go through what I went through um, or maybe what you went through. Um, And, they, you know, you can read this book, and if you do these things, you really can get to a place of, um, of joy and fulfillment. And what I like about what you just said, for so long, a meditative practice, people who meditated, they were viewed as hippies from, you know, Southern mm-hmm. California. But people like you, like me, I, I'm a true type A personality. To be able mm-hmm. to bring a spiritual practice into the business world and to show the scientific benefits of that, mm-hmm. I think that that's such a great point that you're making. Yeah. And the good news is there is a whole lot of science behind it. So those left brainers out there who want to defy <laughs> you when you you argue about it, you can show them all the neuroscience and it's, it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. So your second component of the EQ fitness is trust. And for someone who's been a, through a very challenging time, someone who's experienced a lot of loss, a lot of pain, how can that person find the trust that's necessary to build healthy relationships? Well, I guess it starts with, did the person that you might want to build trust with be the person who gave you the pain? Um, then it's, you know, it's, it's really a, a choice of how vulnerable do you become? Because the thing about trust is it can feel like a high-wire act between vulnerability and self-protection. And, you know, again, how, how open do you want to become? But that's also true with those that might be strangers to you that you work with. And, you know, you come into the workplace and it's, it feels so gratifying to have relationships of trust in the workplace. But at the same time, you know, I say we have a willing heart, but we also have a shrewd eye. Not everyone is deserving of our trust, you know, and and that's a part of your evaluation of, okay, you know, because it's a reciprocal relationship. It takes two to tango with trust. So so that's part of it too. But, you know, it's probably not much different than than willingness from the standpoint of the fear. Mm -hmm. If you can get over... Um, 
just sort of push through. You know, you can call yourself a scaredy cat. I call myself a scaredy cat all the time. But somehow I find some way, whether it's a girlfriend who gives me support or my husband or whatever, um, to, you know, to push through these moments of fear. Writing this book, I mean, I, I really, it was a big pause for me to think about, do I really write this book? But I'm hopeful, you know, that maybe it can provide some, some guidance and for, for others, you know. And it's, it's a wonderful foundation for the we principles because what I've learned in business today, and, and I'm a firm believer that we're moving more to um, a state of collaboration than competition. I think we get more accomplished when we work together as a we, where there are win-win scenarios set up that everybody benefits. So when there's so much pride and ego and so much of that, um, you know, eat or be eaten mentality, mm-hmm. how do we make this shift to the we, to the collaboration, to win-win? Well, um, having, you know, a, a lot of it is, um, it depends on where you are in your organization, but everybody can can contribute here. Um, it's just, it looks a little bit differently depending upon if you're, for example, in the C-suite versus if you're um, in middle management or, you know, a worker. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, but in all cases, this process, the we principles are when we, move ourselves aside for a greater good and that greater good can be your team it can be your family it can be your community it can be any number of things um this is a discipline because we're not by nature i mean by nature we we start with ego you know we we, we, and we need to survive and so ego is good to help us survive but what it doesn't do, at least what it didn't do for me, is it didn't help me to thrive. It didn't help me to emotionally be fulfilled. Um, I needed something different and something more. And so we principles are the our EQ fit leaders and, P, and workers. You know, they know when to trade those moments of me mm-hmm. for the the moments of grace that you get with we. And... It's not all the time. Again, we need ego too, but it's that balance that is missing today in, um, in how people work. I mean, if something material happens, let's say I manage a team of people, and something really dramatic happens that impacts them, I don't care what it takes. I am going to assert my ego and my power to not let that happen again. But if it's something that um, I may, I was most likely just in the eye of the storm, you know, sort of in the middle of the hurricane there, and I really wasn't even, I got impacted by it, but it really wasn't directed at me, then I let that go. It's just not worth worrying about and, you know, putting it into your brain and tossing it around. And knowing how to do that. It is a ju- it's a judgment, but it comes with practice and a few birthdays and practicing these steps as well. The book is Fully Human, Three Steps to Grow Your Emotional Fitness in Work, Leadership, and Life. If you'd like to get more information about Susan and her work, you can visit SusanPacker.com. Susan, in about 30 seconds or less, you're a successful leader. You've been surrounded by successful leaders, and you've studied successful leaders. What do you believe is the most important trait that a successful leader must have? I think it's compassion. I think that um, the most successful leaders I've known and read about and over the, over the centuries I've lo- you know, looked at, they have compassion. And that's a connector. And it allows you to lead others. And, and also it allows you, you know, self-compassion. It allows you to be in a good place in terms of how you carry yourself and how you do connect with others. Susan, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing ways that we can grow our emotional fitness so that we can thrive in all areas of life. I agree with you. Success is an inside job, and you provide wonderful tools that can help us bring our full selves to all we do. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Joan. 
This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973 973- 722-1154. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce stress and worry. Allison is here today to discuss how to respond when people treat us poorly. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Joan. So, Allison, sometimes... No matter how hard we try to be a good person and to be kind to those around us, other people treat us poorly. And when that happens, I know for myself, I start to wonder, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? So what do you think is the best way to respond to people when they're rude or or they're mean or obnoxious to us? You know, Joan, interestingly, this is one of the most common things people come to me to talk about, whether it's their boss or their husband or a coworker, where sometimes people don't treat us well. And our focus can often become more about how could I get them back? How could I hurt them? How could I control them? Instead of sitting back and saying, how can my response serve me? And that's actually the real question, is how can what we're experiencing, how we can get the most out of it by serving ourselves? And when I say serving, I don't mean self-serving. I mean, what could be the best outcome for where we want to go in our lives? And it could be the best outcome for ourselves, our society, maybe the business that we're in. And when we start to focus more on that and less on the other person, we end up getting a better result. And one of the best stories that I heard recently is one of my friends called me up, and she told me that her mother-in-law had left a message on her answering machine. And her mother-in-law said, Four out of five of my children called me to see how my doctor appointment went, and you're the only person that didn't call me. I'm very angry and disappointed in you. And although we could surmise that her mother-in-law was just hurt, but her, how she spoke to my friend was, was a little rude. It could, it could be seen as obnoxious. And my friend decided to ask that question to herself before she called her back. She said, how will my reaction serve me? 
And she realized that if she called her back and reacted, then her father-in-law would call her and her husband would call her. And all of a sudden, she'd be in this three-week drama about how she responded to her mother-in-law instead of what actually happened. And when she thought about it, she said, the thing that could serve me the most is to not respond because this is not really meaningful to me. And she said, I had a great day. And, and I just passed through this, and I didn't have to think about it again. And so that's what we need to do. We need to look at, are we going to be engaging in more drama by responding? Are we creating a situation where now we have to focus on not just what that person said, but what we said to them? So again, when we focus more on how our reactions will serve us, we end up in a more meaningful place in our lives, and we end up moving forward with the things that we want to do and the things we want to take care of. So, Allison, is there something that we can do to avoid being put in that situation? I mean, using your friend as an example, she didn't do anything that caused that type of a message. So what can we do to avoid being in that situation? Well, Joan, the truth is that we can't. And, and that's one of the biggest problems that most of us have in life. We believe that we can control how other people treat us. And when we believe that we can, we end up tiptoeing around possibly our spouse or a coworker, or maybe we don't, um, we try to avoid our boss in certain ways, or we don't say certain things because we don't want to upset them. And in reality, because we can't control it, we're going to end up living with these reactions anyhow. But even worse than that, what happens when we try to control other people's reactions is that we're, we end up not living our best life because it becomes more about them and less about us. And when we realize we can't control how other people act, in a sense, it's like trying to stop a flowing river with our hands. So when we realize we can't control it, we ask ourselves again how a situation is going to serve us, and then we move forward in our own lives regardless how other people act. And again, it's just this slight change of a, of a mindset, but we have to realize we cannot control the outside world, but we can control ourselves and we can control our own reactions. And by doing that, we're going to end up having more mindful reactions, a better responses to the situations that we're dealing with. And eventually, we might not be able to stay in a situation if the person doesn't stop acting a certain way. And sometimes we're going to need to defend ourselves, which is whatever we decide to do, we're going to be more mindful and we're going to end up in a better place because we're going to be controlling ourselves and serving ourselves in a much more meaningful way. Allison, if you could sum up everything that you just shared with us, is there a process that you've developed that can help us before we respond to these people? Sure. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier. I think everyone knows it's a lot easier to be responsive when the person's not sitting in front of you. So if someone's right in front of you at work or you could be having a situation with a spouse or a friend, you have to remember to try to pause. And sometimes it's really hard when someone's coming at you, but it's a practice. If you remember the pause, that alone is going to create a more mindful response. And sometimes for me, if I'm in a situation like that, I'll actually pick up a pen or I'll start moving my fingers a little bit. Anything to remind us to stay within our own body and our own self and not to get totally immersed in what the other person is saying to us, to try to stay more centered and more balanced. Now, when the person's not in front of us, it's so much easier because if it's an email, you could think to yourself, you could feel that anger rising and you could pause and say, how will this reaction serve me? If I say something, sure, it might feel really good in the moment, but in the long term, am I moving my life forward or am I creating more drama in my life? So that's a really good way to look at it. And sometimes you feel a need to write it down to say something. Sometimes I'll even text it, but I'll send it to myself or I'll send it to a friend that has nothing to do with the situation just to feel like I got it out. But being more mindful and being more thoughtful about everything that we do in life and asking those questions, either we're going to say something in a more um, strategic way, in a way we're going to be moving our lives forward, or we're not going to say something and we're going to create less drama in our lives and we're going to have more space to do the things that we like and to live our best life. You know, Allison, I think the advice of pausing and, and thinking about what you want to say is so important because I know for myself, if I respond immediately, let's say via email or text, a few hours later when I've given a situation more thought, I'll reread what I had originally written and I'm angry at myself because I would have not handled it the same way. Right. So that is great advice. 
Yeah, and it's just about, you know, lessening the drama in our lives and creating more space for ourselves to live our best life, to do thoughtful and mindful responses. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, or if you would like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joan Herman. I am honored to be a special ambassador for the 2019 Coleman, North Jersey Race for the Cure. I hope that you'll join me and my race team on Sunday, May 5th at Liberty State Park for this 5K fun walk and 5K timed run. Sign up for my team at cyacyl.com slash Coleman. That's cyacyl.com slash Coleman. Join the fight. Save lives. Register now. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. A day at the spa or time relaxing at home might help us unwind and feel renewed, but is that all there is to self-care? According to today's guest, Tracy Cleantis, real self-care is more than just routine self-indulgence. It's a lifelong practice that's essential to finding fulfillment and joy. Tracy uncovers principles for care that are rooted in self-empowerment and self-knowledge. Welcome, Tracy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Joan. So, Tracy, when people hear the word self-care, they usually think about pampering themselves in some way, whether it be a day at the spa or essential oils or just relaxing at home. And while it's important to take time for ourselves, you say that self-care is so much more than that. So how does your definition of self-care differ from what most people think the words mean? As you say, I I think that most people believe that self-care is about treats and indulgences and rewards and something you do on Saturday Mm -hmm. that you do when you're burned out and you have nothing left. But we can improve how we're taking care of ourselves with awareness. Truthfully, self-care is about being an adult. And if we don't take care of ourselves, who's going to? It's something we're doing already. And I'm simply making the case that if we do a more conscious job of it and treat ourselves the way we would a beloved, it would make a huge difference in the quality of our life. So, Tracy, let's talk about the foundations of self-care. Take us through your list, and let's very briefly touch upon how each relates to self-care. Absolutely. I have seven principles of self-care, and the reason I did this is is because of the misconceptions that people have about self-care. My argument is that self-care is a daily, lifelong practice. It's about how we live our life day to day. And it's something that we have to do day to day and be responsive to what our needs are in a given day and and care for ourselves. The second principle is self-care is self-love. And in in essence, self-care and self-love are one and the same. Self-care is self-love in action. And as we improve our self-care, as we make sure that we're eating our vegetables, getting our sleep, making that mammogram appointment, just taking basic care of ourselves, we move into self-love. The third principle Self-care means taking responsibility. It means that you have to take responsibility for your own needs and not wait for others to care for you. There's a lot of grief that people have, a lot of hope, a lot of, if they loved me, I would be taken care of by others in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that we have to take responsibility for our own needs. And as we do that, our relationships improve. The fourth principle, self-care means noticing what matters to us. Self-care is highly individualistic and you have to notice what works for you and what what actually feeds you and and what is important to you. The next phase of self-care is requiring attention and responsiveness. When we listen to a baby cry, we don't uh, just respond to the baby with just uh, just the bottle. We listen and we differentiate. This cry means the baby wants to be held. This cry means that the baby wants to be changed. This cry means the baby's tired. We have to do the same thing with ourselves. We have to notice with attention and responsiveness, what does our stress mean? What does our fatigue mean? What do we require today? What's going on in my life that I need to respond to? And and not just meet every need with the same self-care strategy. The next principle of self-care is that it must be realistic to be effective. I call this the New Year's resolution principle. We all set out these goals for ourselves, these very strict 
uh, goals and say, you know, we have to give up sugar. We, we're going to exercise five days a week. We're going to you know, set these expectations that are not really attainable. And then by January 3rd, when we, we're not able to meet those goals, we give up, we get depressed, and uh, we go back to our old ways. And and back to how we would engage with a child. You know, if, if we were trying to improve our children's uh, diet, if there was a failure and our child had a cookie for lunch instead of their their peanut butter sandwich, we wouldn't say, you know, we're, we're just going to give up. Um, we would continue to find a way to try to improve that diet. We don't do that same for ourselves. We set such harsh goals that we're unable to achieve them. And so what self-care goals need to be, they need to be realistic. The final principle of self-care is that it precedes self-fulfillment. And we live, most of us, the opposite way. We say, you know, if I work really hard, if I uh, achieve these goals, if I become successful, then I'm going to allow myself to have self-care. And and what we do is we deny ourselves sleep, we deny ourselves food, we deny ourselves care, and we don't have the energy to achieve our goals. And so we're doing it exactly the wrong way around and then wonder why we're fatigued and not able to have the energy to show up to what really matters to us. So that fulfillment in order to achieve to achieve goals and to be the kind of parent and uh, have the kind of career we want, the kind of relationships we want, we have to start with a fuel of self-care. Tracy, you just made such an important statement. You said that self-care is self-love in action. And many of us have beliefs that undermine our self-care attempts. And, and I think one of the biggest is that we think it's selfish. And why do you think it's so hard for people, women in particular, to practice self-care. You know, we, Jen, we're all told on an airplane um, that oxygen mask on for us first. And we none of us would, would ignore that message on a plane. But as soon as the plane hits the ground, we immediately abandon it. Mm-hmm. And we say to ourselves, you know, what, what it means to be a loving parent and what it means to be a good mother and a, and a good spouse is to abandon our needs. We get that messages from our mothers or from the culture, and we settle for crumbs. We settle for the mani-pedis. We settle for just that little bit of fuel. But what we don't realize is that in doing this, we don't have the energy to be the parent we want. And we are teaching our children how to treat themselves as adults. If you could bullet point it, what are the benefits of self-care? There's so many incredible benefits to self-care. One, absolutely, it will lead to increased self-love. Um, the, the second important point in, in self-care, it will improve the quality of your relationships. If you're meeting your own needs and you're able to take care of your own needs, you're more likely to be satisfied and have uh, realistic relationships and goals. You're going to have uh, more energy for what matters to you. You know, it, it, very often, like I mentioned, we live our lives on sort of layaway. I get to, to have pleasure. I'll get to play. I'll get to do what matters to me. I'll get to take care of myself. If only I achieve these goals. If we bring that self-care into our lives now, we have a more enjoyable life. We don't have to wait until that goal is achieved. We can do that today now without more money, without more success. We can improve our relationships. We can improve our health. We can improve uh, our quality of life through attending to our self-care. So, Tracy, somebody's listening to you right now, and they're saying, I'm in. This is it. I'm making these changes. What's the first thing that person needs to do to get started? The first thing you need to do is to be attuned to yourself, to listen to yourself, to ask yourself in this moment, how would I treat myself like a beloved? One of the ways that I encourage people who are just starting in on their self-care is to sneak it in. Years ago, I heard an interview with Jessica Seinfeld, and she talked about how she liked to sneak in vegetables um, into her children's food. And she had this wonderful way of hiding and masking the fact that she was giving her children healthy food um, in delicious food. And so what I suggest to, to clients is in any task that's difficult, to sneak in some self-care, to maybe sit in your garden or on your patio or put some music on or drink some um, lovely tea and light a candle and get a snuggly blanket and, and have your dog on your lap and a mask on your face. And yes, some of those things are treat-based, but it's just, it's just you saying, I'm going to attend to myself during this process. I'm going to acknowledge that I need care. 
you know, when we take our kids to the doctor, we, we make sure that they have a snack, a juice box, a game, an iPad, a sweater, etc. We've got to do the same thing for us. We have to ask ourselves, what am I facing today? That's a difficult task. What's going on for me? What's the stressor I'm facing? And how can I sneak in that bag of Cheerios, that metaphorical bag of Cheerios? What can I do to respond to this situation today and be a kinder and more responsive parent to myself and not a cruel taskmaster? The book is An Invitation to Self-Care, Why Learning to Nurture Yourself is the Key to the Life You've Always Wanted. Tracy, thank you so much for being here with us today and for talking about the importance of taking care of that one person that we know from birth until death and why it's the least selfish thing that anyone can do. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. It's my pleasure. We'll be right back. Do you need to have things out on counters, shelves, or desks to remember what you need to do? Is out of sight, out of mind? Or do you get overwhelmed seeing everything out all over the place? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm, we help clients organize their lives as well as their homes. We specialize in serving clients who are chronically disorganized. Many of our clients are visual processors, meaning that they take in information about the world through their eyes. They have to see something to understand it. Organizing solutions for a visually dominant client need to accommodate this preference, particularly if the client also has memory challenges. For such a client, putting files in drawers would not be helpful. Instead, use a series of clear wall pockets labeled with pictures or words of each pocket's contents. Solutions for visually dominant clients who get overwhelmed by seeing everything at once often need to be beautiful. Use attractive storage to create a calming yet productive environment, such as a series of bins in a soothing color. If you're challenged by disorganization, and are ready to accept outside help, call me. I'm Gail Gruenberg, and I can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. Call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com. You have a court appearance ahead of you, and you are going to court pro se, which means without an attorney. How can you best prepare yourself for the big day? My name is Kimberly Johnston, and I am the founder of Family Court GPS, LLC. We specialize in legal coaching and court preparation. One of the most important things to do is meet all of your deadlines. Once you file papers or you have been served papers, make sure you are thorough and you understand the court's deadlines. Each step may follow a different timeline, so be sure you are clear on each part. There are guidelines for your response to service. There is a certain timeline for presenting evidence and requesting witnesses. There will be court appearances, and there may be evaluations to be scheduled. Make sure you are on time and on point. If you miss a deadline, you could risk serious ramifications. Family Court GPS is here to help you prepare. We will keep your deadlines at the forefront and keep you on point. Don't panic. You are not alone. Call us at 201-316-2772 or visit our website, familycourtsgps.com. In a couple of months, summer will be here. Have we already thought about getting into peak condition and losing weight to put on that bathing suit? I'm Dr. Michael Magwood, and I'm a chiropractor. Today, I have a couple of tips for you on behaviors surrounding weight loss. First, your body's metabolism is intricately related to how the functioning of your nervous system is. Under times of greater stress, we go into hibernation mode, which is fat storage mode. Our job in our chiropractic office is to help the nervous system respond at ease, adapting to stress and allowing the body to reach its maximal capacity to succeed. Secondly, we have fitness right in our offices. What a great way to connect your doctor to your behaviors. And guess when those resolutions should start? Not at New Year's, not when summer's coming, but consistently all year round. Your chiropractic doctor has the capacity to educate you and be with you and hold you accountable. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood. Find us at purebalancecenter.com and look out for our locations in Clifton, New Jersey and in New York City. Are you spinning your wheels? 
When it comes to your career, are you burning rubber but not gaining traction? Hi, I'm Amy Blumberg, an executive and leadership coach, but many of my clients call me the dot connector. If you're what I describe as a striver, someone who's new to business, ready to conquer the world, looking for that big promotion, but unfortunately not taken seriously, if you want to get from where you are to where you want to be, but can't connect the dots, here are three strategies for my nine building dots program. One, start by identifying what's getting in your way and why you haven't achieved your professional goals. Pinpoint which obstacles or barriers to your success and what resources you need to remove them. Two, maximize your potential with active listening and ongoing leadership education. Partnering with a mentor or attending classes will enhance your skills. And three, improve leadership effectiveness with consistent team building and collaboration. Working with others and tapping into their expertise adds value to overall team success. I can help connect the dots because I've been a striver too. With one-on-one thoughtful direction, I'll be dedicated to helping you make the right strategic decisions to vault you from frustration and doubt to unlimited possibilities and construct an easily executable plan to build the momentum you're longing for. So let's connect on Spin Yourself. For more details and contact information, go to amyblumbercoaching.com. At Amy Blumber Coaching, I connect people and possibilities. Today is Dr. Lorraine Maida, a functional and integrative medicine physician who practices anti-aging medicine, executive health, hormone replacement therapy, and weight management. She's the author of Vibrance for Life, How to Live Younger and Healthier. Dr. Maida is here today to discuss the benefits of progesterone. Welcome, Dr. Maida. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. Doctor, the media is always talking about estrogen. Are there other hormones that we should be concerned about? Absolutely. That's such a good question, Joan, because every single hormone has a counter hormone and your hormones must be in balance for you to function properly. One of the most overlooked hormones that I find in the media, especially, is progesterone. People don't get enough progesterone because progesterone balances the effects of estrogen. And estrogen is known as a hormone of energy and growth. So what happens if you don't have it balanced with progesterone? Excess energy can manifest in people with symptoms such as anxiety, irritability, impatient, snappy behavior, uh, insomnia, and the growth part could be fluid retention, growth of the breasts, cysts of the breasts, cysts of the ovaries, growth of the uterine lining, which can result in heavy bleeding, spotting, irregular bleeding, and fibroids, plus weight gain around the breasts, the hips, and the thighs. And anybody listening to this would say, oh my God, these are symptoms of PMS or perimenopause, and many women feel these same symptoms postpartum. So if progesterone is low in these conditions, what can we do about it? Well, progesterone could be low, but one thing I want people to understand is that estrogen could be low, normal, or high. It's the spread or the balance between the two. So if progesterone is low in relation to estrogen, this is called estrogen dominance. And a very easy way to balance it is to give progesterone. However, I always prefer to look at the root cause and fix that first before having to put somebody on hormones. And the number one thing is managing stress because you could either be in fight or flight where your body makes cortisol, the stress hormone that takes away from all the other hormones. It prepares you to fight or flee. So you can't be in rest, digest, and reproduce where you make more sex hormones such as progesterone. So getting cortisol down is critical to allowing progesterone to come up. Because your body is going to respond to what your mind is saying. And we're hardly in a situation where we have to fight or flee, but we can manage our thoughts. We can quiet our minds. And taking some slow, deep belly breaths can change how our body responds. And this changes your hormones. The other thing that stimulates the, and triggers cortisol and insulin and things that make a fat, flabby, flaky, foggy, fatigue, and forgetful are sugar, starch, processed foods that give you blood sugar swings and even alcohol or too much caffeine. So you want to, you know, modulate those and not have too much. 
then having plenty of soluble fiber found in vegetables, ground flax meal, beans, and oat bran will help you get rid of excess estrogen. And last but not least, the products we used are filled with chemicals that act like estrogen, such as the BPAs in plastics, phthalates, power brands. They're found in your personal care products and your household products. Doctor, if someone follows the advice that you just offered and they still can't control the symptoms, but they don't want to take progesterone, is there anything else that they can do? Yes. Chaseberry is an herb that can stimulate your brain to make LH. That, that stimulates your body to make more progesterone. This works better in younger women who still have enough eggs that will result in ovulation, but it's always worth a try because I get extreme relief from symptoms and even infertility when we use chaseberry. Green tea helps you bring into better balance by getting rid of excess estrogens. There are other things like lowering cortisol with adaptogenic herbs. There are supplements called DIM and I3C that lower estrogen. Vitamin C raises progesterone. And, you know, look, if you've tried everything and you still have symptoms of being estrogen dominant and on a hormone roller coaster, just seek some expert advice from a functional medicine physician who really understands the interplay amongst all these hormones. Dr. Mehta, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to get more information about this topic or Dr. Mehta and her work, you can visit howtoliveyounger.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Mehta, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lorraine. I am incredibly, incredibly proud to be a physician here at St. Jude, to be in a place where I know my patients are going to get the top-notch care, not only care, but also research happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every single person that contributes is a part of that St. Jude family that makes that happen. Because of everyone that is really committed to the mission of St. Jude, we're giving families hope. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.